I want to begin by telling you a story about a good friend of mine in college. Uh, one time, she, uh, we went home for break, and we came back, and I asked her how her break was, and she didn't have a very good break. So I said, what's wrong? And she kind of didn't want to tell me, but she, ended up, she decided to tell me. She actually told me a, a little later on. She said, well, my dad upset me. And she was very careful to say, I've got a good dad. My dad's been there. He's loved me. He's loved my mom, all this stuff. She, she wanted me to make sure that she had a good dad. And she said, my dad upset me. She didn't tell me what happened. But she said, I tried to talk to him about it, and he didn't really listen to me very well, but he knew that I was upset. So a few hours later, he shows up with flowers. And... And, you know, that was nice, but it wasn't exactly what I needed. Now, men, let me tell you something. Buy the women in your life flowers. It's a good thing. But what this young woman was trying to tell me 15 years ago was that while flowers were nice, she needed something else from her dad. She needed her dad to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. The flowers did not purchase reconciliation. But it almost seemed to her like that's what dad was hoping for. Now we've got, anytime there's a relationship, there's a fence. Especially the longer you know someone, and, well generally speaking, I'm speaking generally. In almost every relationship at some point, the more you get to know them and the longer you know them, there's going to be some type of offense. This is true with our horizontal relationships with one another. It's true of our relationship with God. And this is true for all seven point so and so billion people on the planet today and everyone who's ever lived throughout history. So when there is an offense, how does reconciliation take place? Today in our passage, we're going to look at the idea of atonement. Let's say that word together. That's not a word that just rolls off the end of our tongue. Let's say it together. Atonement. In one sense, that's a big fancy theological word, and you know people write 100-page books on it and all this stuff. But in another sense, for the Christian, this is an everyday idea. You may be familiar with Paul's writings about the ministry of reconciliation. Well, the idea of atonement is very closely associated with that. And the idea of atonement has to do with how do you repair a broken relationship. When there is a fence, how is that offense mended so that you can have a healthy relationship, so that there can be nothing separating you from the other person, or, as is largely the point of today's text, or from God. So, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, uh, we looked at the story of Abraham and Isaac, Going up to Mount Moriah. Do y'all remember Moriah? Not Moriah like Moriah Carey, but Moriah. M-O-R-I-A-H. And that place is very important, as we're going to see in the next two weeks. Then, the last time I taught, we looked at the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a mobile structure that God commanded His people to make after He gave them the Ten Commandments. And the purpose of this structure was to facilitate worship. It was going to be a place where God dwelled amongst 
his people. Well, let's uh, put the, um, the, the middle picture is a picture of the exterior of the sanctuary. Let's put a floor plan back up of the sanctuary, of the tabernacle, I mean. And maybe it'll work. Is it not working again? Yeah. Okay, don't worry about it. If you figured out, that's fine. We're, we're ha- it's not his fault. We're having trouble up there. Um, so the tabernacle, which you see there, it's got that little building inside. The Bible refers to it as a tent, but there's two rooms in that tent. One of them is called the holy place, and then there's a smaller room that is called the holiest place, or the holy of holies. And it was in the holy of holies that we had something called the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the ark was the two stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments written on it. And a couple other things were in there too. But it was in this place where God dwelt. It was, his, it was the biggest expression of His presence and of His glory. Well, we get into the book of Leviticus. We learned about the tabernacle at the end of Exodus last week. We get into the book of Leviticus. And the entire book of Leviticus teaches us what God requires in specific areas of life through his law, and it also teaches us about proper ways to worship God under the Old Covenant. Well, one of the most important ideas in all the book of Leviticus is found in Leviticus chapter 16. It is called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. In our discussions today, we're going to cover verses 29 through 34. That's going to be our main focus. But before we get into that, let me summarize for you What took place in chapter 16? Let me summarize for you some of the details. Okay, so there was a high priest. And at any given time, there was only one high priest. The first high priest was Aaron. He was Moses' brother. Well, God appoints him to be the high priest. He's the one to offer, to be the leader in offering sacrifices. And a priest is man's representation to God. The, The priest comes to God on behalf of man. And so on this special day of atonement, the high priest had to offer a couple different sacrifices. He had to take animals, kill the animals, and take the blood from those animals. And he had to go into that building up there. We see the holy place in the middle. You see on the right, there's the little circle. That's a basin where they would wash their hands. The square to the right of that is the place where they would burn the animal after it dies. Well, he would take the blood, and he would go into the holy place, and then he would go into the most holy place, which is there on the left. And he would sprinkle that blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And God's, in all of his glory, would be in there, and he would go in there and sprinkle that blood, and that blood would cover his sin, and the sin of his family. It would purify him. So then he would have to come out, and then he got two goats. And he drew lots or draw straws for the goats. And one of the goats would be killed and sacrificed. And he would, the high priest would take the blood of the goat into that most holy place there on your left hand side. And he would sprinkle the blood again. And what that blood would do was it would bring purification to the tabernacle to the tent, to everything you see in this picture behind me, it would purify it all. And it would need to be purified because this was set up in the middle of a people and the people were not clean. 
Remember Isaiah, he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. That idea is seen all throughout Scripture. So Aaron goes back in a second time with the blood of the goat to cleanse all the stuff. Well, then the other goat, he would come back out the second time, and Aaron would put his hand on the head of the other goat, and then he would confess the sin of all the people. It'd probably be a pretty long prayer. I know if I was one of them, it'd be a pretty long prayer. But it doesn't tell us the details of that confession. It doesn't tell us the details of the prayer. But he would put his hand on the head of the goat, and as he did that, the sin of the people would be transferred upon the goat. And there was a man that was ready to take that goat after this and to take him out to the wilderness, outside of the camp, outside of the area where they were all living. And they would send the goat off. And this showed that the sin was being removed from the people. So after this, there was a bit of a cleanup ceremony. There were other sacrifices that were being offered. But the whole idea was to make atonement. And so, verses 29 through 34 that we are going to discuss today um, are very much a summary statement of the entire chapter. It kind of brings it all together. And so we're going to... I'm going to read it and have you all read through it a few times on your own, as is our custom... And then let the questions, let, let's fire away with the questions, because there's a lot of them here. So verse 29. And it shall be a statute, which is a law, to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you take us deep into your heart as we examine the scripture today? Amen. Amen. Read it to yourself a few times and you're... So why, so why are we studying all this? We were in Mark. Now we're just doing Old Testament stuff and we're bouncing all around. Why are we studying all this? We're studying all this because in a few weeks Jesus is going to die. In a few weeks Jesus is going to die. I've got a one-year-old in my house who has learned to whack the three-year-old. And she's pretty vicious. And it's very upsetting. 
But she has learned that, that if you, where's Noel? Come here. I need a volunteer. She has learned that if she comes up to the three-year-old and does this, that he is okay with her all of a sudden. <laughs> Just that little tiny hug, and he's happy with her again. He's no longer upset with her. But amends has, has been made. The repair has taken place. Thank you, Noel. <laughs> See, in all of our relationships, we have different expectations of what is needed to repair a relationship. That was true of the first story I told. What the dad gave his daughter was not what she needed. She needed something different to bring reconciliation to that situation, that part of their relationship. My three-year-old, he's good with a quick hug. And he knows that the one-year-old might do it again in 30 seconds, but that quick hug makes the next 30 seconds okay until she does it again. So death has always been necessary where there is sin. Some type of payment, something given that costs the person who sinned has always been necessary for offense to be covered, for atonement to be made, for reconciliation to take place. We saw this in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. It has been this way from the very beginning. Before Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree that God told them not to eat of, God says to them, this is Genesis 2, 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he warned them before they sinned that if you disobey my command, you will die. So from the very beginning, where there is sin, God requires something to die. Something to be punished because of that sin. Now that teaches us several things about God here. Number one, it's His world. Number two, He has the authority to require that things be done a certain way. Everything comes from Him. He's perfectly entitled to say whatever it is that He wants so that we can have a restored relationship with Him. It also teaches us that He gets angry and that He is also a God of wrath. There was a season of my life where I did not like the idea of the wrath of God. I read a book one day. There was a chapter. It was a basic uh, kind of devotional theological type book. It introduced you to some theological ideas. And it, it, there was a chapter called God's Wrath. And by the end of that chapter, I was sitting here thinking, why aren't we talking about this? This makes so much sense. But He is a God who gets angry when He is disobeyed. Now the good news for us, the good news for man, is that that is not the end of the story. He doesn't just get angry and kick you out and leave it at that. But things have been put in place so that we may have a restored relationship with God. And everything that happens after Genesis 2 verse 17 where it says you shall surely die is the story of God pursuing sinful people so that he could have a right relationship with them. It is a story of sacrifice all throughout the Bible. It is a story of reconciliation. It is a story of atonement. So we get to our verses for today. 
Verse 29. It shall be a statute or a law to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. Okay, so the same day every year, the seventh month, the tenth day. And what are you to do on that day? You shall afflict yourself. What that means is that you are to fast. You two are to abstain from food. If you've ever fasted, you know that it can be quite the affliction. And it requires humility. And it's hard. So you shall afflict yourself on this day of atonement, and you shall do no work. I like work. I like to work. I like seeing what I've made. I like seeing what I've done. I like making money. All that stuff's good, as long as we don't go overboard with it. It is hard for me to not work. It is hard for me to stop. It is hard for me to slow down. It requires humility. It, re- it is difficult to say that I'm going to lay my agenda aside today and just rest. But it's something that we all must do even today. And on this day of atonement, it was a day to fast and it was a day to do no work. Now the high priest that we're reading about in this chapter, he had work to do. He was leading the people in worship. We get to verse 30. For on this day, again it came once a year, on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Y'all, that's good news. Atonement will be made for you. Atonement will be made for you. There's no mention of you making the atonement. But someone else is going to make the atonement. And what does atonement do? You might have a Bible translation. Let me say this first. You might have a Bible translation that says purification may be made for you. That is not a good translation. It is a bit of a watered down translation. Uh, Purification is the result of atonement. Purification is what happens because your sin has been atoned for. So on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. Everyone say clean. 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 Atonement (coughs) cleanses you. Atonement, in this case, in this chapter, it cleansed things. It cleansed the tabernacle. It cleansed the physical objects. It was in the middle of the people, so it needed to be cleansed on a regular basis. God required atonement to be made. Y'all, that's good news. If atonement has been made, if a sacrifice has been offered, then it means that you're not dirty anymore. It means that Christ, in our case today, has taken your shame. It means that you can have a new start. It means that the mistakes of your past no longer um, determine who you are. And that's good news. That is good news that we can have a new start. That our God is a God who, who has offered sacrifice so that we could be cleansed. So that we will no longer be identified by some season that has been over for a long time. Or in some cases, if you're new to the faith, by a season that has very recently ended. 
atonement has been made. And when it is made, you are cleansed. The last part of verse 30, it says, You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Who is the ultimate judge? It is the Lord. And if you appear before Him and you are not clean, He will not let you into His presence. But if atonement has been made, and if you are clean, then you can stand before the Lord and He accepts you because atonement has been made. He receives you and you can live with Him forever because your sin is gone and you stand cleansed and holy and righteous before the Lord and all of your sins are gone. That's good news. That is very, very good news for us today. So the idea of atonement... Some people will tell you, and and I say this from the books I've read and and a discussion or two I remember from college many years ago. Some people will tell you that atonement just takes the sin away. It makes it disappear. And that is a part of it. We remember the goat. The, The priest would put his hand on the head of the goat. He'd confess the sin and the goat would be sent outside the camp. He'd run away and never come back. So our sins going away is a part of it. But atonement does more than that. I told you earlier that God is angry when there's sin. God is a God of wrath, and rightfully so, when there is transgression. Well, here's what atonement does. Here's what blood being poured out does. is It satisfies God's anger. God is, God's wrath comes to an end against your sin when the atonement is made. Atonement does more than just take our sin away. It satisfies or appeases the anger and the wrath of God. And in order for atonement to take place, something has to die. We saw that in Genesis. We see that in this sacrificial system that is being set up in Leviticus. And we see this as we consider Jesus who will be going to the cross on Good Friday and who will rise again on Easter Sunday. The life given up by the animal or the life that's given up by Jesus is somehow freed to provide life for the person who offers the sacrifice. When that animal was killed, his blood being poured out was a substitute for your blood. The thing with the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews tells us, is that was a temporary thing. And that's why they had to do it over and over again. But our Lord Jesus, His blood, His life being given up, somehow is applied to us and we are set free. And God is no longer angry with us. And we have the opportunity to be, or we are cleansed and we have the opportunity to live a life of freedom. To live a life free of guilt. To live a life free of shame. Because atonement has been made. The life given up by the animal, the life given up by the sacrifice, is somehow freed to provide life for the one who offers the sacrifice. We get to verse 31. This day is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourself. It is a statute forever. It's a bit of a repetition of what's already been said. 
We get to verses 32 through 34. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. Okay, this is like ongoing year after year. This is how it's going to work. You're going to do the same thing over and over again. Up to this point in Leviticus chapter 16, what we've seen is God talking directly to Moses and Aaron about how to do it the first time. Well, we get to verse 32, and there, there's this... Well, actually, it's verse 29. But, but in verse 32, we really see the vision being cast that God's saying, y'all are going to do this for the long run. You're in this for the long haul. This is my plan for you. Every year, you're going to do it over and over again. So we get into the specifics here. Verse 32, The priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Atonement does more than just take our sin away. For atonement to take place, something has to die. And the life of the sacrifice, as that life is over, it is somehow transferred to us. The ones who are being purified and atoned for. That life that the animal or that the sacrifice or Jesus himself no longer has is now placed upon us. And the death that we deserve because of our sin was received by that which is sacrificed. So turn to Hebrews 9 if you would. Towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9. Page 1108 in the Blue Bible. Thank you, Jen. Hebrews 9, verse 23. Okay, 1107. All right. Chapter 9, verse 23. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites or ceremonies. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In verse 23, it says the copies of the heavenly things. This tabernacle, this sacrificial system is a copy of the heavenly thing. Okay, God dwelled in heaven just like He dwells in this tabernacle. You can enter in to this tabernacle just like one can enter in into the presence of God in heaven. So what we see in this tabernacle, what we see here on earth is a copy of the heavenly thing. We get to verse 24. For Christ has entered. Now we're talking about Jesus. He has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, But where? Into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. See, they 
This tabernacle that they moved all over the place for decades and decades on end. It was a copy of the true thing. It was a symbol. It was a representation. It was something visible and tangible that you could see that would point to the thing that we can't see yet. But is nonetheless is just as real as what we can see. Christ entered into the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things. Or He went not into the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. And what did He do when He went into heaven? He appeared in the presence of God on our behalf. See, Jesus has already went to God for you. It's already been done. Everything that needs to be done so that we can be saved has been done by Jesus. All we have to do is receive it by faith. The work's been done. You can't bring flowers to God. You can't go and give them a side hug. You can't tithe every week at church so that you can be saved. You can't do anything to appease or satisfy the wrath and the anger of God. The only thing that could be done is that sacrifice be made by something by someone who is perfect. And that's Jesus. And isn't it cool? God didn't have to do that for us, but He loved us so much that He did. He loved you so much that He did that. We get to verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Jesus didn't go in and out of this tabernacle every year like the high priest had to. And he didn't have to get blood from something else. Jesus had his own blood. His own blood was perfect. His own blood being poured out was good enough for God to remove our sin. Hebrews 9.22, we didn't read that, but it says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What does God require to wipe away sin? Blood. My friend in college, she needed an apology. God requires blood. So it's different for all of us. Depends on the relationship when you have. What does it take to atone for sin, to make amends, to repair the offense? But the greatest offense that's ever taken place is our unholiness and our disobedience towards God. The greatest atonement that has ever taken place is God sending His Son to pour out His blood for us. We get to verse 26 where it says, But as it is. But as it is, He, that is Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once and that after that comes judgment. Are you ready for judgment? Are you ready for judgment? If you have called on Jesus, if you have trusted Him by faith, if you are, as the end of verse 28 says, eagerly waiting for Him, Your sins have been atoned for. 
then you're ready. And it is coming. If you're not ready, call on Jesus. He will save you. He loves you. You can't get to God on your own. You've got to get to God through Jesus. Don't miss out on that Jesus part. But let's praise Jesus as we come to the table. As we break the bread. As we drink from the cup. Let's remember that it cost him something. Let's remember that his blood was perfect. Let's remember what it means for us today. And what it means for our neighbors who don't know Jesus. That this same gift is available for them. The judgment that Jesus received on the cross is the judgment that was rightfully ours. And God in His goodness has made atonement for us. Let's pray.